Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. Heisman Trophy will officially be given away tomorrow. Seen in New York today. Heisman finalists uh, in Manhattan. Yogi Roth joining us from the road. Pac-12 Network analyst joining us now. Yogi, you in New York City. What's the scene, man? Oh, it's great. Coach Aliotti's here. He's with his wife on vacation. He stumbled right into the uh, the media room at the Heisman. It was awesome. <laughs> And uh, we, got, we we took a picture next to the trophy and, you know, just got to catch up. But it's, it's cool, man. I've been here, I don't want to say seven or eight times for the Heisman, for being here with Marcus and Christian and last year and, you know, all, all the years somebody from the West Coast comes out here and, and now as a voter it makes it even more fun. And knowing these guys when they're at the Elite 11 and 16 and seeing them, you know, for the first time in a while, like what is Jaden Daniels this year or, T.J. Stroud last year, um, Bryce Young. Like it, it, It's cool to watch their growth, and it's a real celebratory couple days. Now, I saw photos of the guys kind of just uh, making the rounds down there. Like, How much hoopla is there? A lot of photo ops, a lot of uh, parading the finalists around? Yeah, no, it, it's big time. I mean, I, I can remember, John, my, uh, one of my roommates in college was Larry Fitzgerald, and I remember when he came. And it was it was the first time I'd known anybody that went to the Heisman. He, well, grew up watching it, and he came back, and it was just like it was crazy, you know, the the trips and the tours and the pictures, and then to to watch Liner. And I came when Reggie won it uh, as a member of the SC staff, and saw really kind of behind the curtain a little bit. And now as a you know as an analyst coming out, uh, every year it could be the same exact schedule, but it, it lights you up the, the same amount every time because. All of these young men put in so much time. They've all gone through uh, adversity they never could have expected, whether it's all three quarterbacks are transfer quarterbacks, and all of them transferred for different reasons, right, whether it's the coaching thing that was going on at Arizona State, whether it was Bo and just trying to reset or panics and his injuries. So I-, I love that because they have a greater appreciation, I think, even more for the craft than they did when they began that journey. So then with all the photos and all the cameras and all the media, uh, they all had their own media station today, which was, which was really cool with, you know, 10 to 20 different people huddled around them, uh, just taking pictures, taking video, asking questions. It, it was a great moment for them to sit in it because they weren't being asked questions about a respective defense or a game plan. It was, it was just about them and their story. Jaden Daniels probably going to win this thing. And I have a vote. You have a vote. I'm not asking you to reveal your ballot. But he's probably going to win this thing based on his stats. But I feel like Michael Penix Jr. was the MVP of college football. He was the most valuable player to his team. Like, you take Penix off Washington, Yogi, that's like a four or five loss team. Like, I just, I'm struggling a little bit with the award, even though I vote in it. And even though I kind of know it goes to a quarterback on the, you know, a team that's highly ranked and somebody who has numbers. But, the SEC part of this is dragging me down a little bit. Help me feel better about what's going to happen tomorrow. 
Yeah, I, I hear you, man. I mean, it's it can be challenging and frustrating for, for a lot of people. I mean, it's important for me as a voter. I don't know how you do it, but I've got a, a scale that I look at when I even evaluate it. You know, to me, it's really important to, to do the homework when it comes to that. Uh, so I'm with you. And, and the first thing that I look at when I'm evaluating Eisen Trophy and, and where I'm going to put my vote is how do they do on the grandest of stages? What do they do um, in terms of competitive dominance and consistency in, in elite big-time moments? And I'm with you. you know, Michael Penix Jr. has, has done that um, more than the other two, two, two quarterbacks, at least, that are up for it. And I think everybody would agree that Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be fourth among the, among the vote tomorrow night. And, and I, I agree with you. you know, I think that the Heisman Trophy can have an impact on that in terms of the, they give out. You, know, you get your ballot the Monday after the final regular season game as did I, and I still hate that, because uh, it can be controlled by the award. And I wish they waited until after all the games were played, championship games included, to send out that ballot, because it just begins, uh, you know, the campaigning for these guys when the regular season is over, and that happened to Jaden Daniels, and he had a hell of a season. I mean, his downfield accuracy on deep balls is, is just ridiculous. When you look at the ball when it travels over 20 yards, the area that he really tried to improve upon, and he's grown a ton. Uh, he's led his team to a lot of big moments. If he didn't get hurt in the Bama game, who knows what would have happened. So I, th- I think, you know, there's a fair case for them. But where I net out on this one is that when, when the numbers and the stats are skewed dramatically towards one player, in certain years, I buy that. Like when Johnny won it, Johnny Menzel or RG3 won it with multiple losses, or even last year with Caleb when he won it with multiple losses, I get that. But this year, I, I don't because of – what Michael Penix and Bo Nix had to go through in terms of the competitiveness of their games, the competitiveness of the league this year. And then when the moment was asked to be met, Michael Penix Jr. met it every time. Look at the Oregon game, the audible. Look at the Oregon State game, 158 left. is a back shoulder throw in the rain. You were there. And, yep. you know, it's a great throw to Rome, and it's game over. It's the audible um, in the Apple Cup at the line of scrimmage and the end around. I mean, there's a lot of moments that he had to meet and he didn't flinch. And, and I think the last thing, I go back, at least for my vote, to probably tell where, where it went, but I, I go back to being undefeated. And when I was coaching at SC, it, it did not uh, glance by me how challenging it is as a quarterback to lead an undefeated team. Because every week, the boulder gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, when you know, your bubble gets burst a little bit and you lose a game and then, it's, you know, all right, let's go attack this thing the rest of the way, it's a different approach than it is when you're undefeated. It just naturally is. So I think Michael Penix Jr. has handled uh, the pressure extremely well. Um, at times, he didn't play great. I mean, you could look at a certain couple of games and see that. But when his best was needed, he met it. And to me, I go to the definition of the award every year, which is the outstanding cultural player whose performance best exhibits the pursuit of excellence with integrity. And I think his performance, Michael Penix Jr., when needed, it defines that award, and that's why you know I, he he was my vote. Um, it, it really came out of that final game between him and Bo Nix. I would have went either way, uh, based on the performance in that on that stage. And I thought Michael delivered on the grandest of stages in the most viewed game in the history of the Pac-12 title games. Penix Penix showed up, so we'll see how it shakes out tomorrow. I think I'm with you. It sounds like uh, everybody here expects Jaden Daniels to win it, just based on the media and the attention he got today. I mean, it was it was pretty telling. But we'll see. And at the end of the day, uh, what an honor for, for those guys to even be in New York. Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Network Analyst, is with us. Yogi, 
uh, you mentioned all three of the QBs are transfers. They all have a little different stories. Can we unpack them a little bit? Penix and his injury history, Bo and Auburn, Jaden Daniels was in the Pac-12, then went to the SEC. Um, which guy benefited most from the change of scenery, and, and how different are their stories really in your eyes? I don't know if I can give you an answer on who benefited the most because they all benefited greatly. Uh, let's take a look at Jaden first. I can remember him at the Elite 11, and he got hurt there, uh, and then he got thrust into the spotlight at Michigan State. We all remember that fourth-quarter comeback with uh, you know him and Herm Edwards and that team. And you look at the pandemic year, and ASU was set up uh, to win the league, to make a real run, at least in, in my eyes. And the pandemic happened, the whole team – uh, kind of had it for a month, it seemed like, and then, of course, all the off-field stuff with him and recruiting. And I thought that he he probably wore the brunt of the criticism when he left. Right? Everybody was saying, uh, our locker room is better. It's addition by subtraction. And I'm sitting there saying, what? Like, have you ever met Jane Daniels? I mean, he's a phenomenal young man. I mean, he's come from a challenging background, um, and he's just competed. You know, and, and, yeah, he doesn't look the part all the time because he came into college at 170 pounds and started as a true freshman. But, God, he worked at it. I mean, he really did. He's an awesome, thoughtful, you know, creative, artistic young man. I mean, he's not the alpha that's going to give you the, the, the Tim Tebow or Bo Nix type of speech. Like, that's just not his personality. And I think when he went down to the SEC, we had him this summer as a counselor at the Elite 11. He and Michael Penix were both counselors. Uh, I asked him, I said, what's the difference between the leagues? And he goes, you know, skill positions, uh, I still give it to the pack. Uh, the, the front, obviously, is where the SEC is known for. But he goes, it's still the same game. You know, the fans are, you know, a different level. And that, that stadium is really cool. But, you know, it's still football. And so I think for him, like, a, it was a complete reset. I think when you look at Bo and, and both Michael, those two, I, I was able to do a feature on them on the Pac-12 Network this, this summer where I spent a bunch of time with, them and people really close to them to, to talk into their journey. And for Bo, he came to Eugene sight unseen. He just wanted to go to a place that had a chance to win and a place for him to have an opportunity to be the best version of himself. And as he shared with me many times, and I'm sure with you, just to go play with joy because the, the wonderment, the, the joy of the sport was, was, was lacking, you know, and as I interviewed his parents and they're in tears in this interview, they go to a story that I think all Oregon Duck fans should hear where they talk about the game against Georgia. And he throws a couple interceptions, and after the first one, you could see it online, uh, Dan Lanning meets him on the field. And he didn't say, what did you see? He didn't say it was your fault. He didn't come down on it. He said, hey, I love you. We'll be good. Don't worry. And Bo said that was the first time he ever felt that. Well, cut to the end of the game as they're going through the tunnel, and, and Patrick Nix, Bo's dad, is crying as he's telling me this story. He thought that the fans were going to boo Bo because they didn't know Bo. It was his first game there. He clearly didn't play at the level that everybody had hoped or expected from the beginning. And instead, he said, all the fans, and I get the chills sharing this, John, all the fans were cheering, saying, don't worry, Bo, we got your back. Next con- next game, we got you. And Patrick Nix was saying, God, that, that didn't happen at our previous school. It was the other way. So the fan base really welcomed them. And since that point, Bo said he, he never played with more joy in his life, big reason why he came back for another year. And then here's Michael Penix, Jr., who shared with me that he was on the floor of his apartment in Indiana praying and crying to himself before every game uh, the year before that he transferred that he wouldn't get hurt in 2021. He's just praying that, like, when I go play today, I hope I, I don't get hurt. You can imagine if you were doing that for every one of your shows, you wouldn't be the best version of yourself. He knew that. And then when he made the change, 
he was able to be the best version of him and himself and play free and have fun. Another reason why he came back for another year to UW in the city of Seattle, I just got done talking to him about the power of Seattle and what it's done to him to be in that community. So I think all three of them hit the reset button. Uh, all three of them needed them because the expectations were too much or the injury became too much, and, and it gave them new life. And it built a real legacy, I think, for all of them within the quarterback room and the facility at all their respective universities. Give me an idea, because Oregon marketed Bo heavily. And I suspect part of that was they could tell all recruits, hey, you come to Oregon, you have a great season, we're going to get behind you. What is this award worth to a school winning this award? And do you agree with that sentiment that, you know, Oregon, yeah, some of this was about promoting Bo, but this was also a message to all of Oregon football and branding for all of Oregon football. Um, I think if you have the right person that can handle it, um, yeah, you go all in. You know, Bo was the right guy, much like Michael Penick Jr. was the right guy. And both schools started campaigns in the off season. Uh, both had different styles of their campaigns. And, yeah, you're right, they definitely uh, helped out the university in their branding and recruiting and their national, you know, national brand. But I don't, I don't think you do it if it's not grounded in some truth. You know, like I don't think you do it if, you know, uh, let's just take like Will Rogers, right, when he's rumored to go to, say, Washington. You know, I don't think you do that national campaign in the preseason for that. You know, I don't think you do that if SC gets a portal quarterback. I don't think you, you do that in the offseason if Oregon gets a portal quarterback. Like, I think it has to be the right guy so it lands. Like, there's a reason I think Oregon can do anything they want marketing-wise, but they didn't do the New York City billboard at all since Joey Harrington, right? Like, they didn't do it with Herbert. They didn't do it with every quarterback that came through. Like, I think you have to pick and choose so so the, the message lands and the marketing of it lands. Uh, but you're right. Like, if – you know, Bonex wins or loses the last, you know, call it seven months or whatever it's been, six months have been huge for Oregon, and and he's a big part of that, and, and he should be celebrated, and he has been celebrated because of all the, you know, not only who he is as a player, but also all the NIL things that have happened with him and the world that we're in in college football. But I, I would not advocate every school in the country who has a really talented quarterback to get a billboard in, in New York City. I think it'll just land on deaf ears. Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Network Analyst, is with us. The bowl season's upon us. It'll mean a lot to some of the schools and fan bases, not so much to others. But let's start with Washington in this playoff. Um, how important is it for the Huskies to uh, throw their best punch? And what do you think of the matchup with Steve Sarkeesian in Texas? I love the matchup on a ton of levels. Um the storylines, we, we played them last year in the Alamo Bowl, but now they get cranked up even more with Sark and Texas and Washington and Kalen. Uh, I think you also look at these offenses. Uh, they're as creative as you'll see in the country, uh, and, they're, and they're similar. I'm a big fan of offenses that give the ball to players, skilled players on the move. You look at Bama in 2020, they did it as good as anybody in the last decade. Well, I challenge that now with what Washington did this year and at times last year. I mean, those playmakers are so dynamic, and they are going to stress the daylights out of Texas. Sark, I was just talking to uh, our friend Softy about it on his show earlier. You remember his first game as the head coach at Washington. They, they played LSU. Go back and watch the first drive because it was boom, 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 touchdown. You're thinking, oh, wow. And Scott Woodward at the time, the athletic director at UW, 
turn to one of his colleagues and said, yeah, I think we got the right guy. And I say that of like both of these teams, their first couple drives will be scripted and there'll be a thing of beauty. Like I cannot wait to watch that and get down to, to New Orleans with Ashley Adamson and our crew just to kind of see what, what it's like in person on the field. And then the storyline that we'll get no play will be the defensive. Like Pete Kwiatkowski and this Texas defensive front will try to get after Michael Penix Jr. You know that about him if you track his history. Co-coordinators at UW, they've got this side of the ball playing really impressive football since the Oregon game the first time. Uh, they're finally healthy. Tuli Latuli Nasanoa is a player that isn't getting enough discussion around what he can do in the interior on that defensive front. Braylon Trice's numbers aren't off the charts, but his effort when you watch every snap, he's impacting quarterbacks along with Zion Tupelo for two and company. So I, I love the game. I think they're just two of the more dynamic offenses in America. I love the play callers of it and the drama. Uh, Iwichu was in the Rose Bowl, and I personally felt like Washington should have been a number one seed. Uh, you look at the three ranked wins Michigan has, and two of them fired their offensive coordinator this year. <laughs> I just, I'm just not that impressed with what they've done. Uh, when you comp it to the, the talented Pac-12 that it was this season and the competitiveness that UW has to meet every week. And so for that, I say that because I feel for the fans because they've had to go to Vegas, down to New Orleans, and, and possibly the, the national title versus an easier flight to L.A. But that is what it is. And uh, and we're in for a treat, though. When it comes to the game, we're in for an absolute treat in the, uh, in the semis. I like Washington over Texas. I like Alabama over Michigan. Do you line up with that? Yes or no? It's it's hard. Like it, 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 that would have been if I was interviewing the committee, I would have asked them elements of that around Bama because Bama against Auburn was not Bama against Georgia, right? And Texas against Oklahoma State was not Texas in some of their other games. So I'm with you on the Washington front. I agree with that. Uh, on the Bama thing, I don't know. Uh, give Nick Saban a month, and he's he's pretty impressive. We know they're a physical defense and. And they're going to have to stop the run against a really veteran-laden Michigan, you know, front and run game. And I'm a big J.J. McCarthy fan. I love the way that he competes and plays and really operates that system with efficiency. I'd love it to be Michigan UW, uh, but I don't know. I don't know how Michigan will handle the, the duality, which is Jalen Milrow and, and how active he is. And I haven't seen enough consistency from Bama to feel really confident about it. We've seen enough history from Nick Saban to be confident about it. Uh, but I don't think that's enough to kind of roll with them. So I don't know. I'd probably pick Michigan. Uh, I'd love to see a classic Michigan UW game in the title just because, uh, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if really any four of these teams won the national championship. Yeah. You hit on something there because you start talking about coaches and prep time. Is Saban the guy that you think has the biggest advantage with the extra prep time or are all these guys so good that that doesn't really matter? I think they're all really good. I mean, you got a body of work in Michigan in terms of, like, where they haven't had success in the playoffs. You can criticize that, uh, I guess, if you're in a nitpick and rank who's the best. Uh, UW's never been on this stage. Texas hasn't been on this stage. So I think there is something to Bama having been there before. Uh, I think that helps a little bit. But when I look at Kalen DeBoer and his staff, and, again, I go back to, like, the opening drive of every game, like, these teams are all game plan teams. You know, it's, it's a reason why I think air raid teams have struggled when they play. If you chart back, air raid teams after, a, you know, they play an opponent if they had a bye or an extra week or look at Oklahoma when they've been in the playoff, like some, some time to really prepare for that certain type of offense. 
hasn't boded well for the air raid necessarily. I, I think for these schemes, I mean, these are these are all game plan teams, and and I think we're going to see elite coaching. I really do. I think it's going to be hopefully clean games. I don't expect a blowout in, in any of these ball games. I think the UW, if, if there was a team that had a chance to blow somebody out, uh, it'd be them because of their explosive ability. And all of a sudden, boom, you could be down a couple scores. But And, and you know, this Texas secondary is going to be challenged. I'll be curious to see what Pete Kwiatkowski does. We've seen him do a lot in his tenure. We've seen him attack teams. We've seen him drop eight and make you earn it. If, if I was going to guess, I think that Texas is going to drop eight and say, all right, Mike, They'll pick us apart, and we'll try to mix in a couple unique pressures, kind of like what Utah did when they played Washington earlier in the season. But ultimately, man, I I don't know how, how beneficial it will be this year. If you had to give a nod to, to Bama because of the experience, I think it's, it's appropriate and fair. But I, I really am a big fan of all these staffs. Yogi Roth from the Big Apple. Enjoy your evening there and your weekend, Yogi. Thanks for joining us. Hi, brother. Anytime. Talk to you soon. There he is. Yogi Roth from the Downtown Athletic Club. Heisman ceremony tomorrow. Here's how it's going. Jaden Daniels, one. Penix Jr., two. Bo Nix, three. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., four. Leave it here.